0: Tell one more story. Briefly talking about the lively procession of Our Lady. I don't know how many of you are Catholic, but you're all welcome. Um, I didn't know that this was going to be free. When the company came to me and said, "Yeah, we're giving this to you," I said, "That's wonderful. At no charge. Oh, that's fine." So after four months, they came back and said, "No, to display it is free." But if you want to buy it, the value is half a million dollars. I said, I don't have half a million. He said, well, if a donor comes forward with 250, they can buy it and then take the full tax write-off for half a million of the valued art. I said, I don't have anyone that has $250,000. So I fretted over this. I'd already told our parishioners it was going to be free. I felt so embarrassed to have to go back to them and say, I'm sorry, it's only gonna be here for four months of display and then removed. So I went up and I knelt down before Our Lady and I said, now look, I love you very much, true story, but you're very expensive and I want you to stay, but you have to give me a very clear sign that you want to stay at St. Anne's. That very afternoon, An anonymous donor came up outside after Mass and gave me an envelope. I don't know who they were. I don't know where they came from. I've never seen them before. I went back to my home, which is right next door, opened up the envelope. It was $150,000. I said, my God. I came back and knelt down and I said, Our Lady, thank you. I didn't mean to be presumptuous this morning when I asked you for a gift, but as long as you're giving out signs, could you give me another one? a week later the same donor came and gave me the other hundred thousand dollars i've never seen them before i don't know who they are they're angels so clearly our lady wanted to be here in our nation's capital this is the only statue of the pieta in the dmv and she's here and we're grateful to her because clearly this is the mother of this, of jesus and she is the daughter of saint anne so the grandmother the mother, the son. There's a whole connection here of family. So this is very much important to us, and we're grateful to our lady and grateful to all of you for being here tonight. Thank you.
1: Uh, I wasn't the anonymous donor, just to le- <laughs> thank you, Monsignor. Um, and I told you it was twenty four years. I think that's that's about the depth of my knowledge on the pieta. So um Many people are here who weren't here when I started some of the tour. So um, well, I'd like to do, just kind of give you a general orientation. Uh, how many people who are parishioners of Saint Anne's? Some, okay, good. Well, for those of you who are not, welcome, and uh, we welcome you, and um, you're always welcome to come here. And unfortunately, uh, well, it's the way the world works. It's nighttime, but 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 you can't see the stained glass windows. But what I will do is I'll describe the windows to you and um, some a bit about the church. So maybe let's go come to the center here and I'll start this. So you can go maybe, uh, you can even sit down if you'd like to and I'll give you a little history. Hi. Okay. So um, yes, so this um, St. Anne's is uh, built in the Gothic style. And if you know something about architecture, you know, uh, think of uh, Notre Dame, right? That's the, uh, a very beautiful church, if you've seen it. And if, when you think about it, you'll notice that there are what's called flying buttresses. Do you know what they are? So what they are is that uh, from an architectural and engineering point of view, um, they discovered that if they put these uh, pillars facing out and going into the ground from the sides of the walls, what would happen is the the roof was very heavy, it was made of stone, of course, and they wanted to take some of that roof weight off the walls, so by putting these flying buttresses in, they, they were able to do that. And also they did some of this arch work, and that spine also distributes the, some of the pressure that's coming down from the wall, uh, from the ceiling, and uh, putting it into the walls and then out, in, out that way. So because of that, the walls were now able to be thinner And because they're able to be thinner, they were able to put holes in the wall. And into these holes, they're able to make stained glass windows. So this is a way of, of course, opening up a church, having light come in. And also another important reason for doing it was that back, you know, when this we're talking about about the year 1100, 1200, um, many people were illiterate. You know, they couldn't read. So this was a way of them seeing stories about their faith, and then they would come in, and someone would explain, well, this is a story of Christ's birth, or this is a story. So it was it was an important way of of, of learning about the faith. Um, our windows, uh, this building was was completed in about 1947-48, and uh, Monsignor Collins, who was pastor at the time, chose a lot of the themes. So let me just kind of go over what the themes of the stained glass windows are. Again, you can't see them, but I'll describe what they are. So they're divided into three different sections. Uh, this section is a little bit different from from, from here beyond, from there beyond the top section is uh, are angels and um, if you know that angels are messengers from God to talk about god 's uh, plan and also to be messengers of God to human beings and in the In the fourth century, someone named Pseudo Dionysus decided that angels should be ranked according to according to their uh, importance so you 've heard of cherubims and you know um, powers and thrones and all there are supposedly 10 ranks of of angels the lowest being angel the next is archangel and goes up i think seraphim or cherubims are the are the highest so they they are represented on those side pieces on the upper uh, windows. Below them uh, are the saints and mar- martyrs and also the writers of the gospel and the apostles. So in this section here, those the gospel writers are over there, and you see uh, Peter, Andrew uh, over there, and Paul and Christopher, not Christopher, Andrew. And um, over here are there apostles, of course. There are some other things to notice right above there, that eye-shaped window uh, if you could see it it, it has a, an image of a lamb with his hooves on a book and that's supposedly the book of revelation so um, in, in revelation you know you may have heard of the seventh seal supposedly there are different the, the God's plan is revealed through different passages and the seventh seal is where the lamb of the lamb of God Jesus Christ uh, re- reveals his his plan his plan to the earth. It's a a very beautiful representation. Uh, take my word for it. <laughs> uh, those that section over there has the four uh, authors of the gospel. And associated with, the, with them, you'll see them holding objects. And very often, you'll see in the windows here the, the saints or the martyrs holding objects. And these are objects either that, that, that were used to martyr them or associated somehow with their life. So with the four gospel writers, you can see there's um, a, a lion, an ox, an eagle, and a, and a human being there. Uh, over here, if you were able to see, Peter is holding keys to the kingdom. Uh, Saint Andrew is holding two crossed fish, like, like that. And the reason behind that is that uh, supposedly well, well, all the apostles were martyred, supposedly, except for John. And he was martyred on, a, on a, an X-shaped cross. And uh, that's why, so the fish represent the fact that he was, he was a fisherman, Peter was his brother, and also he was martyred on an egg-shaped cross. So when you look at these windows, and I do encourage you to come on back, you'll see the iconography, when you learn about the iconography, it tells the story. And again, it's a way of understanding you know, uh, what was going on. So the term, um, term martyr means witness. And these are people who were witnessing their, their faith to, to God. And um, it's sometimes um, there's a misconception that Christians were always, were always uh, uh, being hunted down and, and, and killed and persecuted. But actually, it would, it would happen in waves. And a lot of times it depended upon the political situation that was going on at the time in the Roman Empire. For instance, um, you know, the old story of Nero fiddling while Rome burned. Well, supposedly, uh, you know, Nero wanted to do some urban renewal, and uh, he, so he set fire to a part of this, of Rome that he wanted to, to do that to. And uh, as you might imagine, many people got angry at that, so he, he blamed it on the Christians. And uh, St. Peter was crucified during his reign, and um, if you know, um, St. Peter was supposedly crucified upside down on a cross. The reason being, he felt that he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Christ, and he wanted he wanted to do that. Uh, as we go, you know, I, um, I don't, it's not quite worthwhile to take a walk back there because you, because you really you really can't see can't see the windows, but um, I'll describe some some of the some of the people that are back to their image. Now, uh, how do you get to be a saint? You know, uh, It wasn't until about the year 1000 that the, that the Catholic Church uh, had a formal way of, of creating saints. Before that, it was more or less people who, who had a legend about them, that they performed some miracle or they're able to help someone who had some trouble or, or something like that. So, uh, for instance, there's uh, St. Christopher over there. And may, some of you may have been here for that. But, you know, St. Christopher is a, was a, a legend that he helped Christ ac- across the river. And, uh, you know, you may notice that, you may have known that St. Christopher might have been demoted, but actually he wasn't. He's still, he's still a saint. But um, the, the church decided that if you couldn't have actual proof, they kind of made it made him a little less important in the in the hierarchy of things. Um, this church is um, the third church on this site, and if you know something about Tenley, Tenley Town. Um, it was kind of a sleepy area. There were a lot of farms around here. And what changed it was the, the Civil War, because we are at the highest point of the city, and Fort Reno wa- was up there. And what happened was that there was a, a very small group of Catholics in this area. And the woman uh, who more or less created uh, St. Anne's, or, or a lobby to have St. Anne's created as a place of worship, her name was Anne Green. and. Um, do you know uh, the, the Rosemont ex- uh, Estate, which is up in, Cle- in Cleveland Park? Anyway, uh, she ha- had a farm over there, and uh, she used to have to go to the, the nearest Catholic church of this area was Trinity in Georgetown. So back then, the trip from here, you know, there weren't any paved roads, of course. The trip from here to Trinity was kind of a, a long haul, and particularly if the weather was bad. So uh, she lobbied, um, uh, Georgetown University and others to get a church established here. And in 1868, uh, uh, the church was established here. It was a small, uh, very small structure located closer uh, to Albemarle Street. And it had room for about 100 a, a people in it. Um, the, the next structure that was built in was 1902. And a rectory was built then. It was it's built a little bit closer to this to this church, and that could hold 300 people. And finally, uh, in 1948, this church was built, and it holds, I think, probably around 500 people, 600 people, something like that. Years years ago, uh, they used to have masses. There were so many people coming to mass. They used to hold masses downstairs uh, and upstairs at, at the same time. We used to have a, um, a, ch- a school, academy, which is now, um, St. Albans has a, has a child development center there now, so we rent it out to them. So for many years we had an associated uh, school. Uh, of course, now that uh, D.C. schools started becoming more competitive in this area, people began sending their, their kids to those type of schools, and the school enrollment went down quite a bit, and it was decided that the school needed to be closed at the time. So, um, yeah, are there questions you have about about the church or you know Saint Anne's in particular? I can I can answer. Oh, okay, good. Okay, she asked. There, you'll see symbols below the stained glass windows. So the top course are angels. The middle course are, are martyr, martyrs or, or gospel writers. The very bottom are representations of God's creation. So the story behind that is in the, in the book of Daniel. Uh, has anybody here heard of Mesach, Sadrach, and Abednego? There was a song about that. Anyway, um, during the during the time of uh, Babylonia, Babylon, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, had would take slaves, and supposedly he took uh, David, you know, King David, and uh, three other people as slaves. And they were very uh, good administrators, and because and because of their of their uh, intellect, they rose to the ranks much to the jealousy of, of other people. And, um, but what happened was that uh, Nebuchadnezzar built a, a large golden idol on a plane, and he insisted that people worship the idol. And, um, of course, as, monothe- as monotheists, uh, the-, the Jews could not do that. So uh, Meshach, Sandrach, and Abednego told him they could not do that. And because of that, he was sent- he w- they were sentenced to death. And the way they were sentenced to death was, supposedly, there was a-, a very large furnace. And they were led to the furnace by some soldiers' guards. And as they were being thrown into the furnace, the fire was so hot that the guards died. But when they were placed in there, Nebuchadnezzar was amazed to see that they were walking around and singing songs, li- being led by, by an angel. And the songs they were singing, they were praising God's creation, the mountains, the rivers, O ye fountains, you know, and so they, these represent those, that's what it that is. And again, I encourage you to come back because they really are quite, quite beautiful. Anthony with the pig. Yeah, you can, you can see that. Say, Anthony with the pig. Does anybody know who, who Saint Anthony was? Okay, so um, there was a group of people known as the Desert Fathers, and these were monks who who retreated into the desert, uh, and they were uh, they were isolated for the most part. And Saint Anthony was one of the first of the of the monks who retreated in, into the desert. And um, he was a very interesting person, a very holy person, and because of his Holiness and meditative way of life, uh, and he was uh, abstained from many of the things that life had to offer. He, a lot of people were attracted to him and would actually go and, and give him food and things like that. So, communities will grow up around, around these monks. And one of the reasons um, this came about was because as, as the church. Started gaining some power and influence in the society, Um, some people recognized that and said, "You know, I we can't be a part of that. I just want to be isolated from that." And they decided to retreat into into that form of a life. So the question is, why is he holding a pig? Okay. (laughs) So um, a lot of the monks. And the desert fathers and people who live there would uh, would raise uh, would raise cattle or not cattle would raise pigs and uh, and garden and stuff like that. So you know, from, from what I understood, it's because uh, he's associated with that because because of the fact that they would they would raise pigs and also that supposedly pig fat could heal you. I haven't tried it recently. I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it, but. <laughs> but also in terms of healing, that's another reason he's holding a pig. And some people are holding very interesting objects besides things that what they're, you know, how they're martyred. Unfortunately, we're, you know, we're losing the light now. And as I said, uh, you know, later on, uh, you can come back during the day and see these will be, you know, quite beautiful. But let's go over here now. Over here are three very important um, people historically in the Catholic Church is uh saint ambrose and saint augustine and saint jerome so um you might know of saint augustine because he wrote the confessions you've heard of that before and the city of god so the the story uh about his life was that he uh, was born his his mother monica was a very faithful person a catholic his father was uh was not quite a noble person, but you know, or the middle, middle upper class. And he was he a was very uh, ambitious person. And also, he led a kind of a debauched life that he admitted to. And he, later on in life, he realized that he, he had him, led this debauched life and he wanted to change. So he wrote uh, his confessions to tell his life story. And it's, one of the, it's a very detailed and very honest story of his life. He also wrote The City of God, which was as Rome was uh, falling uh, to uh, the Visigoth, I guess, or the Vandals, to the Vandals. Um, he wrote this saying that, you know, our city might be falling, but really this is just earth, earthly possessions. What really matters is, is heaven and uh, God's powers on, on earth. So his relation to St. Ambrose was that uh, he was very ambitious and he wanted to be um, a rhetorician. So back then, um, being a rhetorician meant you, that you could convince people and persuade people to do things. And that was one of the, one of the disciplines they would teach in their version of the, of the university there. And he heard that St. Ambrose, who was a bishop, was uh, an excellent speaker. So he thought, I'm just going to stop in here and get a few pointers and so he sat and he he sat down and uh, or I guess maybe back then they were standing and he was listening to St. Ambrose speak and he had a conversion experience and instead of just listening to how well Ambrose spoke he started to actually um, feel the Holy Spirit within him and that's when he had a a religious conversion and uh, so he's one of the great one of the great thinkers of uh, of the Catholic Church. Uh, Jerome um, is known for the uh, Latin Vulgate. Do you know about that? Okay, so, you know, previously uh, the Bible, or, well, parts of it were in, were in Hebrew, parts of it were in Greek, and he uh, translated it, he was also a scholar, translated it into, uh, into Latin. And for over a thousand years, that was the standard, the standard Bible until it was updated and, and changed by many ways. It's really too bad you can't see here, but uh, there's one one of the people here. Take my word for it. Is Justin Martyr, and if you could see him, uh, he's holding a robe, and he's cutting the robe with a sword. And um, oh, I'm sorry, this one no, this one is Martin of Tours, who's who's doing that, right? So the story behind that is he was a soldier, um, but eventually he decided that he, he was hearing about Christianity and he had a conversion experience and he saw a poor person and he cut his robe in half to give half to the poor person. So That's, that's the uh, myth of him or the story about him. And St. Um, Gregory is up there also. And if you could see it, <laughs> you could see he's holding um, some musical keys and musical notes. And, and St. Gregory was a person who we Gregorian chant to. And then there's also St. Cecilia up there. And again, if you could come back to day, today, she's holding a little miniature organ because she's one of the patron saints of music. You know about that, Bob. He's an organist. And, and supposedly, um, as, she was, as she was dying, as she was martyred also, um, she, was, she would sing her praises of God. And that's, and that's why she became the patron saint of music. So we can come this way a little bit. And you it's just worthwhile for you now, even though you can't see okay, okay, and I'm sorry, um you know i I don't have these memorized uh exactly, and I can't see them, so I'll have to uh, but you won't know the difference anyway so <laughs> so so it, so it doesn't matter um one one over here is is Saint Isaac Jogues, and he's a he's a a North American saint. And what happened was he, he came from France, and he was sent uh, to Canada as a missionary. And uh, he was able to convert some people, but, uh, but eventually um, they had a bad harvest, and they blamed it on, on, they thought his god failed them. So what happened was that uh, they cut off some of his fingers. <laughs> so he went, he went back to Europe and uh, he w- and healed. But he came back to, uh, to Canada to preach some more because um, he believed that he still had work to do. And eventually he was, was martyred there. And if you could see it, you'd see he's holding a little teepee because that's uh, for for Indians. Let me see, what else should I tell you about, about the saints and the windows? I'll tell you a little about the windows. So um, I was at the very beginning, you know this this church was built in, in 19 uh, it was dedicated in 1948, and these windows uh, take a guess about how much you think these windows cost in 1948. Have, I'll, I'll tell you 20, 25000 dollars. So now nowadays who knows what it, what it would cost, but uh, they were our our pastor was Pastor Collins back then, and he took a lot of time to decide. Who would be who would be represented on them, and um, they, they, they were designed by uh, Margarita Godin, and she was very famous as a stained glass w- window uh, designer. And just uh, know. So um, did, did everybody? Nobody? Who did not see the Pietà? Okay. So I'm gonna since some people came in, I'm gonna go return back there, and some of you may. Uh, want to leave if you've already heard this, but come on over, I'll show you. Was the artist of the stained glass windows, was she local? No, Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia. Yeah. It was the Willett Glass Studios. The what glass? The Willett Glass Studios. Hi, Monsignor.
0: Welcome everyone, I'm Monsignor Watkins, the pastor here. Welcome to St. Anne's Church. Yeah. Nice to have you here with us, come (laughs) this way.
1: I started a little early because of the light.
0: <laughs> yeah, good, good idea. Welcome, everyone, to St. Anne's Church. We're celebrating our 150th anniversary this year. As Sal may have indicated, we were established canonically as a parish in 1869 by the Jesuits from Georgetown at Holy Trinity. And now this is the third church on this site since 1869. This present church, built in 1947 by Henry, Dadgett and Sons, architects of Philadelphia. And um, so we've done major renovations in the last three years, new lighting and new pulpit and new bathrooms and cleaned it up, sparkling for 150th. And one of the great additions in this year is, come on over and take a look at a full authentic replica of Michelangelo's Pietà. If you were to be in the Vatican, how many raise your hands if you've been to Rome to see in the Vatican, St. Peter's Basilica, the original of Michelangelo's Pietà. He did three Pietà's, but the one you see in the Vatican is the most precious. And this is one of 100 made in the world uh, by a company with the authentic uh, specifications of Michelangelo's original design. The Vatican kept the plates uh, during the First and Second World Wars because they were afraid they'd be destroyed. And then after the Second World War began to produce authentic replicas. And this is number 41 out of 100 in the world. And we're very honored to receive this full replica. So this is the Madonna of Pieta. Pieta means, of course, mercy, pity. And so all the specifications are here. And so in time, we're going to renovate this chapel with a full marble uh, background and elevate her. But she is a great uh, addition to our parish. I don't know if Sal told you that this is an incredible church because in 1947, post-World War, as you know, Catholics in this country were very much maligned and there was a lot of discrimination against Catholics because they thought that our allegiance was owed to a foreign monarch, namely the Pope. In the American mentality, that's not American, right? Catholics were always suspect in this country historically as not being truly American. But after the Second World War, we had served so faithfully and patriotically that the pastor at the time, who was uh, designated with the responsibility of building a new church, said, okay, we're not going to build our front doors on a side church and apologize. We're gonna build our front doors on a major hub called Tenley Circle to let everyone know we are Americans, we're Catholics, and we're part of this mainstream of America. And that was the the politics, if you will, of the art and architecture in here. And unlike up the street, which is the National Cathedral built in European Gothic architecture. This is built in American Gothic architecture, American. So the Catholics were saying to the Episcopalians, we're more American than you are. That was the politics of the time, amazing. But here we are now in this church since 1947 here, but established 1869, serving the needs of Tenley Town for 150 years. And this is tonight part of our way of opening our doors To the Tenleytown community and we want you to feel welcome here to know that you're always welcome and come and celebrate with us on October 20th with a beautiful mass uh, to celebrate formally with Thanksgiving 150 years at 11 o'clock we also have uh, organ and orchestra concerts please check our website it's beautifully displayed uh October the first is a major organ and organ uh, orchestra concert another one in November we have lectures and all sorts of things happening here and in time opening our doors more and more to you. I saw a question, yes sir. What is the statue made of? It is made of compressed Carrera marble. It is about two inches thick. If this were to be the original full marble, that's 650 tons that Michelangelo designed, we could not support this statue on this floor. It would collapse. It was just a rough block. Yes, he, he always went out of rough blocks. He had in mind, as every, uh, you know, gifted artist, he saw out of a piece of single marble what this would be. The same with David in Florence. And you mentioned the were done afterwards. Afterwards. We, he kept, they, the Vatican kept those casts, correct. So this is about two inches deep. It's hollow. If it were the full marble, this whole floor would collapse but we're grateful to have her here. As I said, she'll be elevated and then a marble surround and she'll be beautifully, and we want to start advertising that because so many want to come to honor Our Lady and to pray for her lively intercession. Any other questions about the church? Well, welcome everyone, and I hope you have a lovely evening and make St. Anne's your home here in Tenleytown. We're happy to have you tonight. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Monsignor.
0: Okay. Uh, I'll give you a little more information
1: about um, the Pietà. So, what happened was that uh, as World War II was approaching, the Vatican uh, was very worried that some of their uh that some of their more famous statues and other pieces of work would be destroyed or stolen. So, they had molds made of them. So, a mold was made of the Pietà, and of course, luckily, it, did, it didn't get destroyed or stolen. But. Um, after, uh, after the war, uh, there was a company called Art Divine, and only um, so many, as Monsignor said, only 100 pieces were, were uh, allowed to be made. So Michelangelo made this when he was only uh, 24 years old, which is amazing. So it was finished in about about 1499. and. Um, this is the only piece that that he signed and if you look across the sash of mary it says uh michelangelo of florence made this and uh the reason he did that was was because after he made it it was being he made this for a french uh cardinal uh, and the cardinal uh, uh asked for it to be made so after his death this would be placed near his near his uh i guess where he was be entombed right yeah so um it was being displayed, and Michelangelo kind of went into the into the room that it was being displayed, and he heard it was displayed, and he heard people say, "Who made that?" You know, it was you know, Domenico of Milan. No, it's this guy, and he got angry. He said, "No!" I, so what he did was that that evening he more or less broke broke into it and took his hammer and chisel, and said, "I did this, Michelangelo." <laughs> Did that. And he, he later expressed regret that he did that. But anyway, so that's, that's the way that is done.
0: The only piece of art Michelangelo ever signed right. was the Pietà. Right. Not uh, Moses, not David. This one. Right. To tell the world, I made this. Michelangelo, Bonaparte, fecit Istan. I made this. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why artists were not permitted to sign their works was because it was all for the glory of God. You don't sign your works out of humility. So therefore, no artists ever signed their works. That's why we've always had that controversy. Who did these great pieces of art? Portraits and statues, et cetera. So that's the history behind humility. Michelangelo broke that, but out of some sense of ownership and right self.
1: Yeah. So um, there were some questions about how this was being was made. So yes, it's uh, it's kind of like, you know, they have those uh, engineered marble tops now they have for countertops, similar to that, although it's a proprietary system. It's, but it's actually Carrera marble. And it's, it's, it's poured into the mold. Then after it comes out of the mold, it's still pretty rough. And it takes about two and a half months for specially trained artisans to to make it. Basically, it's, it's an exact one-to-one replica of the Pietà. And um, in 1964 at the World's Fair, uh, somebody here had been to that. Uh, it, was, it was brought to the, to America, and it was displayed, uh, and over 20 million people uh, saw it, and there was a conveyor belt in front of it. So you just stand on there and just kind of, so here you are, you don't, you're not on a conveyor belt. <laughs>
0: Light a candle. Right. <laughs> in
1: 1972, you, you might have heard about this, the original Pieta was vandalized. Uh, a mentally insane person went up to jump the altar and hit it with a hammer 12 times, broke off the arm broke off her nose did you know a lot a lot of damage and he was eventually restrained but now they had this you know really marred and they had to make the decision well now should we keep it like it is, or should we make it look, you know, if you know anything about art restoration, sometimes when they restore art, they don't restore it perfectly because they want you to know that it was restored. But they, the decision was made, it should be restored perfectly, so they had some craftsmen come in and they gathered all the little pieces up that they could to to figure out where they went and fill it in, in places where they weren't. And uh, kind of a charming story is that somebody had picked up, an American had picked up a, a piece. Of, of the statue and brought it home and felt guilty and mailed it back <laughs> to the Vatican for it to, for it to be replaced. So anyway, we're, we're very lucky to, to have this here. And I can tell you that um, many people, once this has been added, many people come here and it's really a, a holy place. People come here and see people kneeling and praying, asking for intercession and, and guidance. So it's been a wonderful addition. And as, as Martin said, there are only 100 in the country, and I don't know where the other ones are out there. All any, over the country, they're yeah. all over the country, yeah.
0: And this is the third of three churches built on this site, this particular church in 1947, by Henry Dadgett and Sons of Philadelphia. So we welcome you to this experience, and I'm going to turn things over to Sal Savaggio, who is one of our great parishioners, and archivists, and historians, and knows all about things church-related, and we just wanna welcome you. So make this your home if you're here new, and if you don't know us, come and join us for all the events surrounding our 150th. Most especially October 1st, an organ and orchestra concert here, and another one in November, and all other sorts of events. So check our website at, Saint Anne at stannedc.org. Thank you.
1: Well, welcome to St. Anne's. Um, this tour will be, uh, the first tour I gave earlier uh, was focused on the windows. And of course, right now there isn't any <laughs> light to see. But I encourage anybody to come back uh, during the day. You know, we have a, a 12 o'clock mass during the day, and of course on Sunday we have three masses. And if you come then, they're really glorious windows. You know. So what I'll do uh, on this, I'll talk. I'll talk about the windows. Also talk about the structure a little bit. We have a wonderful. Um, has, any, has everybody seen the Pietà over there? Okay, I'll I'll give you a little quick tour of that also. So this is the third church built on this, more or less on this site. The first church was built just after the Civil War and a woman named Anne Green was uh, very central to getting it built. She was a Catholic and she used to have to go to Trinity and Georgetown to go to church and she didn't like that too much, it was a long trip. So she lobbied uh, the archdiocese at that time to see if they can get a church built here and they did. And the original church was closer to Albemarle Street It was a wooden structure, and it had room for 100 100 people. And then uh, that was outgrown, and the second church was built kind of where our playground is there near near the gym, and that was finished in around uh, 1902. And this is the third iteration of St. Anne Church, beautiful. Uh, And this was uh, built between 1946 and 48. The style of this church is, is Gothic, American Gothic. And um, what's interesting about that is that the um, if you're familiar with Notre Dame, Church at Notre Dame, um, that's a, a you know a, a typical Gothic church, and it has these big pillars coming off the edges of it, and they're called um, you know they're they get the flying buttresses. You've heard of that before. So what they do is uh, the th- roofs of the buildings in those times weighed quite a bit. So in order to, to get some of the weight off the walls, to lighten up the walls, they built these pillars that would come out. So now the weight of the, of the roof would be distributed and brought out to the earth to the side. And in addition, we have representation of the, these spines, these arches were also done to help take some of the weight off the roof. Of course, this, this church is built out of steel and modern materials, and we have kind of ver- versions of flying buttresses. But this gives you that, that feeling, the idea of, of how that was done. But because of that, because back then that was done, it allowed the walls to be thinner and they didn't have to support such a heavy roof. And because of that, it allowed for holes to be put in the walls, and because of that, it allowed windows to be put in there, stained glass windows. Now, the stained glass technique was developed maybe around the year 700 or so. So it had been around qu- quite a while. Uh, so, but besides lightening up the interior of the church, which formerly had to be just lit with candles, etc., now natural light came in. But maybe more importantly is that you could see representations of your faith in the window. And back then, of course, many people couldn't read or write and they they couldn't you know read about the area about their faith but they could see images of christ and mary and the birth and the, and the passion and it could be explained to them so it was a way of pictorially bringing them closer to their faith and actually today it's the same thing and if you come back here during the day and particularly if it's kind of quiet in church it's just a wonderful feeling to to have that I'll tell you a little bit about the windows. Again, I'm sorry, uh, well, I guess I'm not sorry, it's nighttime, that's part of life, but I'm sorry sorry you can't see it, but I'll just kind of describe some of the aspects of it. So uh, right over there, um, if you look above uh, the crucifix, Christ, there's a window-shaped eye, and if you could see it, there would be the image of of a lamb. So there are three images of the Trinity. So that's the lamb, which represents Christ, over that window, again, you can't see, is a hand pointing down to the, go- the authors of the Gospel, there's a Matthew, Luke, Mark, Luke, and John over there. And over there is a dove flying above St. Peter and, and some of the other saints over there. Uh, the lamb is, if you could see it, has its forehoofs on the Book of Revelation. And if you know about the Book of Revelation, it's uh, this kind of this mystical writing written by John. And according to that, when the seventh seal is broken, God's plan will be, will, will be uh, told to mankind. So you see seven seals coming off. Again, it's a beautiful, beautiful representation. Uh, there's the, the authors of the gospel over there, and you have St. Peter, St. Christopher, uh, excuse me, uh, Andrew over there. And um, again, if you could see it, you would see that they are, uh, besides having the saints, they are imaged with some of the iconography of, of, of their um, history. For instance, St. Peter is shown holding the keys to the kingdom. And St. Andrew is seen holding two fish crossed. And the reason that is done is because supposedly, um, St. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross, and the fish represent the fact that he was St. Peter's brother, and they were called by Christ to be fishers of men, see holding the fish, and also the cross fish symbolize, symbolize the, the uh, crucifix there, uh, killed upon. And um, St. Paul is there also, and he has the gladius spiritus, the, the sword of God. And he was, as a, as a Roman, he was uh, not crucified, but he was beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. Uh, so the general layout is that the upper windows, there, there are three kind of layers. The upper windows are angels. And uh, back in the fourth century, uh, there was a Greek named uh, Pseudo dionysus and he he developed a, a hierarchy of angels. So you've heard of cherubim and seraphim and powers and thrones. So they were, according to their to their importance, um, the most important. I believe were seraphim or cherubim, but they were the highest, and the lowest were just called angels. Directly above the angels were were archangels, and uh, Angels comes from the Greek angelos, which means messenger. So angels are messengers of God's uh, word to to the people. Directly below that, you'll see images of the saints. And uh, saints, it wasn't formalized in the Catholic Church uh, uh, until about the year 1000. And before that, saints were kind of Popu- popular. So, if someone was known to have done a, a great deed, or uh, he was martyred, or she was, she was ma- would martyred, they would be called saints. And that just means, you know, they're san- sanctified. Um, and they're often often, excuse me, seen holding things that they were crucified with or martyred with. So, some are holding knives. So, right over there, there's a, a St. Bartholomew, and he's, seen holding a, a, a knife, because supposedly he was skinned alive. And actually, if you were to go to the Sistine Chapel, you'd see an image of St. of uh, Saint Bartholomew. And he has a knife, and he's holding his skin over his arm. And supposedly, you see the face of St. Bartholomew. But supposedly, that's the face of Michelangelo, because he felt like he was tortured by having to do the Sistine Chapel. That's his. Look what, look what it did to me. Uh, so anyway, I, I invite you to come back during the day and, and look at the images, and uh, I give tours every once in a while. If you, if you look on the website, and I think you would find it you know quite interesting. Uh, on the very lowest level, you'll see um, a series of images depicting God's creation. So uh, anybody familiar with the names Mesac, Sadrach, and Abednego? I know you are. <laughs> So um, in, the, in the book of Daniel, there's a story of um, David and three uh, of uh, other Jewish men were uh, enslaved by Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And they rose in rank because they were smart and very uh, able people, and which got them to be uh, hated by, by the fellow soldiers and fellow people in the administration. But then uh, Nebuchadnezzar built a huge uh, idol along a hillside. And he ordered everyone to worship the idol. And of course, as a monotheist, the Jewish people refused to do that. And because of that, he ordered them to be put to death. And back in those days, they had really great ways of putting people to death. <laughs> so they had a huge furnace. And uh, they were led to the fir- They were going to be burned alive. They were led to the furnace by soldiers. And so hot was the flame that when they approached it, even the soldiers, Died. And they were shoved into the furnace, and when people looked inside, they could see them walking around being led by an angel singing of God's praises. And uh, if you look at these lower panels, it'll have things like, Oh ye mountains, uh, Oh ye trees, and whales, and just wonderful, wonderful images. So, again, please come back during the day and see that. Uh, Towards the very back, uh, there's um, the genealogy of Christ that's uh, depicted. Now, in the Bible, there are two versions of the genealogy of Christ. One is in Matthew and one is in Luke, and they're, and they're not the same uh, because the authors had kind of different um, concepts they wanted to get across. And in Matthew, uh, they, um, he stresses uh, the genealogy of Christ uh, related to David, the Jewishness of it. And in Luke, He stresses the genealogy of Christ related to the divinity uh, according to Adam. So you'll see that there. And on the very top of there, there's a rose-colored, rose-shaped window, which has uh, Mary and the angel uh, Gabriel. So it's quite lovely. Um, Now, um, I'd like to show you the Pieta. So some of you have seen the Pieta before, but if you come over here, because there's an interesting story about it. So um, there are only a hundred of these in the world. What happened was that uh, during World War II, the Vatican got nervous because they were afraid of bombing or looting, and they made um, molds of their most precious statues and stuff. And they made a mold of Michelangelo's Pieta. Uh, Of course, it didn't get destroyed then. I'll tell you a story of how it did get hurt afterwards. So um, a company called the Art Divine Company developed a technique for, for casting marble. So this is made of Carrera marble and a special resin. And I liken it to, if you, if you know about engineered countertops they have nowadays with marble made or made of stone or quartz or something, it's a kind of a similar, but it's a proprietary technique. So they actually were able to, to cast it into, into the mold. And when it's removed from the mold, It takes about two and a half months to hand carve and finish and finish it off. So this is an exact one, exact size and everything of of the Pietà. So um, we we got this because um, I don't know why we got, but (laughs) somehow we were lucky enough to be chosen as as one of the places to get this, and we're very lucky to have it. It's a wonderful addition to our church. So uh, Michelangelo was only 24 when he did this. I knew when I when I was 24 I wasn't doing anything like this. So this was finished in about the year 1500. And um, this is the only uh, any any work of his art that has been signed. And uh, if you look across here you can't quite see from there but it basically it says uh, in Latin Mich- Michelangelo Bonarate uh, of um, Florence made this. So the reason he did that was that he was um, he made this for a cardinal, and the cardinal was used this for his tomb, and uh, it was in a chapel uh, when it was just made and there were a bunch of people came into the chapel to look at this wonderful work of art and he was in there, and he sit in the back, and people said, "Well, who made this? Oh, that was made by so and so of Milan No, that was made of so and so from and he got angry because he made it, and he was so that night he he broke into the chapel and took his little chisel, and he said i." I made it, you know, Michelangelo Bonarte made this. And um, that, that's the, yeah. So um, he later regretted doing that. So, uh, because back then you were supposed to do this great artwork for, in the, for the glory of God, and you didn't do it you know, for your own glorification. Um, during the 1964 World's Fair, um, this, the original Pieta, what, you were there? Right, okay, uh, I was there too. So it was shipped to the United States uh, by boat and it was displayed, and over 20 million people saw it, and there was actually a conveyor belt in front of it. So you, you know, and you go, and you go by it. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and, and it, it did fine. Where is it now? Uh, it's back in the Vatican, but- uh, Venice or a Vatican, 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 yeah. Uh, in 1972, uh, a, a deranged man uh, vaulted over the altar uh, and took a hammer and t- t- took it to the Pieta. He, he knocked off the hand, he knocked off the nose, he did damage all over, he was basically subdued, and now they were left with this. So it was decided, you know, w- what to do with this. As, if you know anything about art restoration, a lot of times when they'll restore a painting or something, they don't make it exactly perfect because they want people to know that this was restored. And However it was decided, they wanted to make it, it was such a beautiful work, sacred work, that they had to make it as perfect as possible. So they brought in the best stone craftsmen, and on site they were able to collect all the pieces, and some were, like the hand was a piece, but some were just chunks. And, and they were able through a special glue process to re, to rebuild it. Um, an interesting story is that in, in the mail from America came an envelope, and in the envelope was a piece of the of the statue. And what had happened was that some an American tourist was there when this guy was destroying the uh, the Pietà, and he picked up a, you know as a souvenir and he brought it home. And I guess he felt kind of guilty, you know, and or maybe. Something bad will happen to me. So he uh, he he mailed it back to the Vatican, and they put it back in there. Anyway, uh, we're very we're very lucky to, to have it here, and um, I think we're, we're the only one in this area to to, to have this. So, yeah, a oh, hundred, just one hundred in the world. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, go I'm sorry, I missed when you said. Okay, so this is made of, of Carrera marble with it's, it's Carrera. But, well, but with the resin, so it 's cast, so if you have a mold they 're able to actually it 's like a marble resin mixture and then it's i mean if you feel it you know, it's, it feels just like however it is hollow uh, it, it, this, this weighs eight hundred pounds the real one weighs tons you know and Michelangelo, as he did with all his statues, he, he went to this, the Carrera mines and said, that's the piece because inside that is, is the Pieta. So all you have to do is just take away everything that isn't the Pieta, and you're left with the Pieta. But don't try that at home. <laughs> um, anyway, so um, I get, that's it for that. In terms of, since we can't see the windows, uh, are, are there any other questions about, about our church or the, the history of the church here? That I that I can answer. I yes. So,
0: Some yeah. of the stained glass windows. Like yeah. There's Saint Christopher. Yeah. A lot of them I just don't know
1: who they are. Okay. How do you, like how do you know who the saints are? Okay. Um, it, it'll it's it they'll have the name on them. Okay. okay if you, if you look at them during the day they have names. In terms of like their, their history, you know, um, if you go to the Saint Anne website, you can have a virtual tour of the inside of the church, which is really neat because they have one, very good images of, uh, of the windows. And if you click on their little, I think they're blue, little blue dots, if you click on that, it'll have the history of, of the saints, yeah. And you know the saints, um, they, the reason they're saints is because usually they, they did, either because of their theological uh, you know, their work or, their, or the fact that they died for their faith or some, something they did that, that endures even, even today. Okay, any other things? I'm just curious, why is there like the discoloration on the ceiling? Um, probably f- because of a combination of things, but the candles will, will go up there. And of course, any, anything, any kind of smoke, you know, we have uh, incense that comes here and it'll go up and it'll, it'll stain it. So that's what that's from. Originally, uh, there were masses held underneath here also. when uh, year, Years ago, there were uh, quite a few families, and we used to have an, a, an academy associated with us, and many people had their children go there. Then with the advent of things like Johnny School and Georgetown Day, and that kind of drew some of, the, some of the children away from the area, but um, they were right over there. There's a gymnasium. Which is was originally built as a as a hall an auditorium and masses were held there. That was built in nineteen thirty eight and then when this was built they moved it all over here. And somebody had a question or Who's the bust on the left of the world? Okay, okay, that's um that's also Mary. And that was I guess uh also it's from the same mold. Yeah, yeah, yes exact yeah. So they I guess it's an add on. <laughs> and then um Oh, I see. I'm Director of Communications and Youth Ministry here, and my name is Natalie Plum. Thank you guys for coming. Some of you have, if you could hold that up for a second. In the very back, this mentions the URL to find that 3D virtual tour. And it's also a self-guided tour, and there's a diagram on the other side. Thank you. You're doing that very well. (laughs) (laughs) And you saw that painting on this other side of the wall here, oh, well, when you after i finish talking go ahead and take a look at that that painting as well as this pieta and the facade of the church we've got cards that depict those things and other artwork in the church in the gym for sale and candles with artwork on the side so if in case you really loved it and wanted to go and purchase that you're more than welcome and come back and see us yeah thank you natalie any any other questions about our church here, you know, it's it's amazing. So many people come by here, and they say, "I've never, I've seen it. I've never been inside." Well, you are always welcome inside. You know, you don't have to be a parishioner, and um, we have you know daily 12 o'clock mass, and of course, there's masses on Sundays 7:30 and and nine and 11. And 7 p.m. And, so, and 7 p.m. Thank you. If you come at the 11, I'm i one of the ushers, so I'll take your money. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's a very it's a very nice community. Um, it's an interesting mixture because we have you know, AU over there, so we have AU students, and we have, like, I live in the area. People who have been living here for a long time. And then we have um, a, a fairly large Filipino community, the, the, the Mother Butler Guild. They're very devout, devoted people, and they uh, are very involved with the upkeep of the church and arranging the flowers. So it's, it's, a, it's a very welcoming community. So you're, you're welcome to become part of it. Any other questions? The the oh, the organ. Yeah, let's let's take a quick look at the organ here. Um, now, there's there's if you look uh, on that uh, information Natalie told you about, there there are going to be a series of organ recitals here, and the neat thing about the organ recital is that. First of all, they're a top tier. The next organ recital, the organist is the is the head organist for Notre Dame, so he's an excellent organist, and um, they have. a jumbotron towards the front of the church, toward the altar there. So you can see the organist's hands and his feet as he's doing it. So it's like it's like being right up there, right up there with him, seeing a place. So it's really a wonderful thing. And again, I uh, want you to look at the at the uh, schedule. So our organ was um, refurbished just last year. There are close to 4,000 pipes in that organ. And the pipes range in size from 16 feet to a half inch. Um, and um, the 60-foot one has, has an internal diameter of about a foot. And the, and the half inch one has an internal di- a diameter of about a quarter inch. Um, and if you ever saw somebody playing the organ, as you can, if you, when you come here, it's a total body experience because they use both hands and both feet. And I don't know how anybody could do that. But uh, I, I play guitar and I have trouble with two hands. So uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. So you're, you're welcome. If you look at the, our schedule, you're welcome to come and, and hear that. And also, again, go to the website. You'll see, you'll see what we have going on. Any other questions? Or Yes, ma'am. yeah Um, that's the Chi between the Alpha and the Omega there's a symbol and I believe that's the Chi Rho symbol which is the uh, Christ it symbolizes Christ okay any other questions great well thank you so much for for coming by and you're welcome to hang around and, and look if you haven't been to the gym uh, that it's a, it's a neat structure. And actually, when this church was being built, that was be, it wasn't a gymnasium. There was an auditorium. And that's where uh, the mass, mass was held. And now uh, it's used for uh, rec- recreation. And you're welcome to go over there and look at those. Okay. Well, thank you all for, for coming by. I really appreciate it. And you're always welcome to come in. And, and do come back when there's lights, because the windows are beautiful.